This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. Wait, you're not Victoria. That's Dennis Cox, my old friend. Who? How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I it don't... is an exciting day for very many reasons. <laughs> I don't need to ask to what I owe this pleasure, but uh, I know we have a big hockey game over at PNC Arena tonight. Cam Ward goes into the Hurricanes Hall of Fame, which I would say long time coming, but mm-hmm. uh, this is the first year of it. Yeah. So it's not like he had to wait very long. Uh, he is part of the inaugural class. Uh, he goes in. It's the only new member because, theoretically, the three retired jerseys, Ron Francis, Glenn Wesley, Rod Brindamore, uh, are also in, but none of those three will be giving speeches tonight. <laughs> no. That would uh, make for a really long night. Right. We've heard from all all of them because they all had their jerseys retired and there were ceremonies for those. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes. Uh, and... We'll get clarity on this from Mike Foreman later in the program as Chief Marketing Officer of the Carolina Hurricanes. But I don't believe that this means that his number is officially retired. Mm. Because you would think that that would have been presented. Like, not, not only is it a Hall of Fame ceremony, but it's a number retirement ceremony. True. But I will say this, and we'll get again, we'll get clarity from Mike Foreman later in the program when he joins us. Nobody's worn 30 since Cam has left. I've had plenty of goaltenders. Just like nobody has worn number 12, Eric Stahl's number, mm. since he was traded. My sense is that those numbers will remain dormant, whether they are officially retired or not at least for the immediate future. So that's just just a guess of mine, but I'm not uh, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but again, I don't have great I don't have great clarity <laughs> great yeah. clarity on that. Much like John Shire and Tony Bennett didn't get great clarity on that ridiculous ruling in Charlottesville. Well, there's that. So, I know you normally produce uh Joe and Joe, the OG in the afternoon on the fan here in Raleigh. Yes. How much conversation did you guys have about officiating uh, or have you had guys had about officiating over the last three days? A lot. Yeah. For it's my a, money, it's a too driving much. conversation. For my money, too much. And maybe it's because I don't, there's nobody sitting here with me to bounce it off of. I find the conversations awful. We can't change anything. Yeah. Well, I know something that Joe Ovius pointed out yesterday was when it comes to officiating that the league, the ACC, and speaking of them specifically, has the ability to make changes in terms of you can hire these referees full-time so they don't have to go work a big South game the next night or something along those lines. But but they would still go but, work a big South game. Well, not if you make them full-time for your league. Yeah, that's the thing. That that's not cost effective for the league. They're never going to do that. I know, but the thing they won't obviously. But the league is seems to be okay settling with. Hey, you know what? It's good enough right now, and people still watch. So, what's the incentive to change? Well, there there are a couple of things about this. First of all, the 
I know people think the officiating is bad. The officiating is not bad. The officiating is the same everywhere. Yeah. I watched an NBA game two weeks ago in which LeBron James drove to the basket on the final play and was so obviously fouled. Oh, against the Celtics? Against the Celtics. Yep. I, I mean, as clear as day, LeBron James with a layup, and the layup missed the rim by a foot. It was not blocked. Did LeBron James just black out on his way to the rim? Of course not. He was fouled. It was obvious that he, and they didn't call it. Mm-hmm. Officiating is the same everywhere. We watch ACC basketball. So it's very simple to say, well, those ACC refs. By the way, two of the three refs, I don't believe are ACC refs who were on the, the Duke-Virginia game, right? Yeah. So, and there was a game recently where there were no refs for, that work primarily in the ACC that were there. And I don't remember the crew that was up in Blacksburg when Kyle Filipowski got punched in the throat. I know it was inadvertent. I know it was unintentional. Still happened. It doesn't, right, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? I didn't intend on gaining this weight, but it still happened. <laughs> a lot of fouls are not intentional. So it, we don't know, but I was told that it doesn't matter if it's intentional or not. If it's a foul, and they went to the monitor, then it's a foul. I mean, it just end of story. Yeah. So the kid from Virginia Tech who punched Kyle Filipowski in the throat, that should have been a flagrant one at the very least, which would have meant Duke shoots free throws and gets the ball. My contention was the officials didn't want to change the outcome of the game by doing that because it would have. Mm-hmm. I think Duke probably would have won the game, or at least they would have had a good chance to win the game uh, at that point on that sequence. And maybe Virginia Tech was more deserving. The What happened at the end of the Virginia game? That was a mistake by the referees in applying the rule. And it was a mistake by the ACC in the statement that they released. Huge mistake. The truth is is that there's nothing we can do to right the wrongs of officiating. Zero. Unless we review every play and nobody really wants that. We don't. Right? Could you imagine? We have enough reviews anyway. So we're, we're in search of a solution to a problem that does not... The the problem exists, but the problem is not any worse in the ACC than it is in the SEC or the Big 12 or whatever league you're in, uh, including the NBA. These guys are doing a very good job for the most part, and some are better than others. We understand that. Some teams are better than others, too. Um, Adam Gold here with my man, Coach Pete Deruta, Capital Financial Advisory Group. Are most of your clients hands-on or they just give you their money and let it work for them? About 90% give the money and then we meet every year and go through status reports, sure. have a financial pit stop, making sure everything's fine. It is like a puzzle, Adam, but for the next 10 of you, we'll solve your own retirement puzzle at no cost or obligation. Call and claim your comprehensive review with Coach Pete and the team, 888-843-0013, or text Adam to 600-700. Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor. The only thing that we should do and this is a fix that should be in place for every regular season game, not just the NCAA tournament, but the NCAA tournament has a pool reporter rule where after the game, 
if there are questions about an officiating decision or a call or a couple of calls, whatever it is, then a pool reporter will be allowed to ask the head referee or the referees a question uh, just alone, not in front of a press conference. And then we get some clarity on the official statement. Why was this decision made? That's an easy one for the ACC. Jim Phillips just goes, here's how we're doing it starting today. So apparently they waited too long. And by the time they went to ask the referees, I was reading a David Teal's column in the Richmond Times uh, Richmond Times this weekend or this week, where he said by the time they got, it was like a half hour after the game, by the time they got to the referees' room, they were all gone. Well, I get that. I get why they would be all gone a half hour after the game. But maybe immediately after the game would be a good time to ask, hey, why did you guys not send Kyle Filipowski to the free throw line? You know what the problem with the statement was? The ACC gave the fouler incorrectly done forget his first name whatever the the help defender there mm-hmm. didn't foul Kyle Phil, Kyle Filipowski the foul was Reese Beekman yeah the 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 point of defense guy now he made a good defensive play but i think he got the body underneath they called the, the basket would have counted if it went so the foul should count that's the rule. That's the rule. But because, and like the statement made it seem as though nobody had actually watched the video. And that's where the ACC messed up. The statement was bad. Because if you read the statement and then watch the video, you go, are we talking about different plays? Other than we know Kyle Filipowski got fouled? Anyway, it's officiating is too much the conversation. We can't have, uh, we can't have a press conference with the referees after games. That's silly. Uh, it does not make it doesn't make any sense, and it would not solve any problem other than to get people more defensive, and that is not what we want. We'd like these we'd like these games to be officiated a little bit better if we can. Um, but there's something that the I mentioned this the other day, something that the Premier League did that I think needs to happen. When obvious mistakes are made, especially when we're talking about the application of a rule, then the officials need to get hit. Not literally, but figuratively, you're you lose your next assignment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's easy. Now they might go to another league and work. Oh yeah, but on short notice, might be more difficult for that to happen, and maybe also get help across the leagues. ACC officials also work like Big East or Atlantic Ten, like you work in an area um, for the most part. So that's what needs to happen. The whole uh, the whole officiating thing, the conversation is tiresome, tiresome, because there are calls that happen in the first quarter, or in case of college men's college basketball, which doesn't believe in quarters, dumb. In the first half, that also impact the game. Maybe give somebody a foul they shouldn't have gotten, that impacts the game. So anyway, uh, enough about officiating. Uh, let's uh, let's do a quick out of the gate. Oh, they are. They absolutely are. Brian Murphy from WRALsportsfan.com, a WRAL sports investigative reporter, is going to join us. We're going to talk about the ace, the, the NCAA going to court again. Why, why do they do this? They are 
They are masochists. Because they got to spend the money, Adam. It's just, I can't. All right. Uh, Cam Ward, Hurricanes Hall of Fame. Tonight, Canes play the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, the Canadiens are the second worst team in the Eastern Conference. But they've won three in a row. Oh, good for that. Yeah. They're missing their top goal scorer, Cole Caulfield. Third-year player. Yeah. Really good player. Talented player. They're missing him. He's out for the year. But they still have other good players. And they have won three in a row, including a win over the uh, Edmonton Oilers the other day, who were obviously sleepwalking. So, with a whole bunch of hoopla going on around this game, my advice, coffee. You know? Smelling salt, something. Start the game on time, to borrow a phrase from our old friend Bill Peters. Uh, did did I see this correctly? Did, did Virginia almost lose at Louisville? What are you yeah. doing? Speaking of staying being asleep, how does that happen? Louisville has three wins this year. Three. Oh, all year. Didn't realize it was th- that few. They're three and twenty-three, Dennis. Oh God. Three and twenty-three. Do you know what they're? I mean, I haven't looked at the net ratings today. They couldn't have fallen that much further. Do you know what their net rating was before yesterday? It probably went up because they played Virginia. Three hundred and thirty. What? Out of how many? Like three hundred and fifty-five. Okay. So not good. <laughs> yes, they are not on the at-large board. Three and twenty-three. I don't know how Virginia Virginia won by three. Uh, Virginia Tech capitulated in a, in a loss at Georgia Tech. All year long, I have said Virginia Tech is good, and I'm going to have to at this point go. I guess they're not. I guess they're not. They did. They just beat Virginia. I don't know. I didn't see any of the games, so who knows what happened to Virginia Tech. Clemson beat Florida State by 40. No, this is not football from two years ago. 40. Was it 94-54? Clemson won. What has happened to Florida State basketball? What has happened there? All right, so before we get to Brian Murphy, ACC standings, and they're really... What you really need to know is the uh, the groupings because you've got the, the double-by group, which is Pitt, UVA, Miami, and Clemson. Is this football or basketball? Yes. Then there's the, the next five. They don't have to show up uh, a day early. State, Duke, Wake, Syracuse, North Carolina. Those are your next five. Syracuse-UNC would be the 8-9 game. And then the Tuesday crew, Boston College, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, and Louisville. Sounds right. Those are bad teams down there. Again, Virginia Tech, I think, has something, but I could very well be wrong. I really, really could be wrong. But uh, So that I think that's going to be our group. We might have a shuffling in. I could see State getting up into... The top four, maybe Clemson tumbling out. Who knows? Uh, but we'll uh, we'll figure all of that out uh, when, well, we're only two and a half weeks from Greensboro. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, all right, yesterday, Johnson v. NCAA. Wait a second, the NCAA is in court. There is no way that this is going to turn out well. Brian Murphy, WRAL sports investigative reporter, joins us now on the Adam Gold Show. So I saw Michael McCann from uh, Sportico uh, started a tweet thread like this. It was a disastrous day in court for the NCAA, and all I could think of was, when isn't it a disastrous day in court for the NCAA? Well, I listened to the to the proceedings because you can't watch; you can only right. listen. And uh, yes, just from I am not a lawyer, but but from the sound <laughs> from the questions that were being asked and the way the judges were asking questions of of the attorneys on both sides, it certainly seemed like the NCAA was in in a world of trouble. And this case is about whether or not uh, student athletes are employees yes. of the university and should make minimum wage. Uh, at least minimum wage. This is at the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, and this is only on the NCAA wants the case dismissed outright. Right. Um, and so then the, and the plaintiffs were obviously saying, no, the case should move on. And the judges seem to indicate that the case should move on. That there's no <laughs> way to just. And so this will go end up going back to the, to the district court. So it's a long process, but another seemingly disappointing day for the NCAA. I, I, I'm at a loss for. Why the NCAA is even trying to, I mean, I guess I understand why you're getting trying to get the case dismissed because, uh, and it's not going to be dismissed, so there will be discovery here, and that's a problem for the NCAA. Uh, but this exchange is one of the, I mean, there's a lot of really embarrassing exchanges for the NCAA here, but uh, when the lawyer representing the NCAA says, this is not about Division One athletes, and the judge responds, this is about Division One athletes. Like, what? What could it possibly be? What else could it be about? Well, the NCAA wants you know they want to look at everybody from Division One all the way to Division Three, um, and, and say, well, you can't. There's no one size fits all for all these people, so you have to just dismiss the case. And and if if some of them aren't employees, then none of them are employees. And and one of the judges said, well, you know, we may see a situation where the quarterback at, in an SEC school is treated differently than someone who runs cross country at Alabama. Right. Um, in, in another part, the judge said, like, I'm finding it really hard to find any way that they're not employees, which obviously this case is only about deciding whether or not to dismiss. But the larger tenet is to find out whether or not they are employees. And, and one of the judges was like, help me come up with a way to decide that they're not employees. And, and nobody really had a good uh, explanation for that. No, because the NCAA doesn't, and this exchange kind of, I think, plays into that. Uh, the NCAA attorney uh, argued that they're not professional athletes because they're, from the school perspective, even today, there is not the expectation that they will be compensated beyond the scholarship uh, f uh, by the schools. And the judge said, well, isn't that because you've deemed it so? So, uh, and... I, I I keep bringing up Brett Kavanaugh's concurring opinion uh, back in the case, what is now, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, in which he said, I don't know how they've been getting away with this for, for you know, for, for decades already at this point. How are they not being paid? 
Yeah, and this came up in the case too. That, you know, the judges were like, well, if they've always been employees, why hasn't it been so? And, and I think what's really changed is the money, right? There was a time where coaches were paid like college professors. Yeah. Um, and so you could make a case that, look, nobody's getting rich off of this. They're getting the opportunity to play. Obviously, over the last 25 years, that has changed dramatically, and especially in the last you know 10 to 15 years, it's it's changed exponentially. And, and those arguments, I don't think, are holding as much water as they once did. Um, I don't – you know, this is why the NCAA hired a president who's basically a lobbyist. They're going to yeah. Congress to fix this problem because I don't think they can win in the courts anymore. Yeah, but I don't think they can win in Congress either because I don't think there's the motivation in Congress to, uh, I don't even say fix because I don't know that uh, anything is going to be fixed, uh, basically to protect what the NCAA wants to do, which is go back to the old system. Uh, The people involved in college athletics, in my opinion, prefer the collegiate model. And you mentioned, I think, the really the the money, and because it is literally the money quote, is that it's about it's about money and the increase in money. I would be all in favor of the collegiate model being the case if the sport isn't if if football wasn't worth billions of dollars at this point because 25 years ago it wasn't billions of dollars. So now it is and we still have this thirst for more money. Like where's that money going? Right. I mean, that's that's you know we've seen it the the proliferation of facilities and and coaching salaries and and everything else to not give it to the players, um, and now we're seeing you know with with NIL some of that money is getting to the players, um, but I think that these challenges and you mentioned the Kavanaugh concurrence are going to keep happening, and it and all it takes is for the NCAA to lose one of these cases. Right. The, right. the cases can keep coming. They've got to bat a thousand. The the plaintiffs really only got to win one. Uh, for the whole system to come crumbling down. And I, I'm just not sure the NCAA is prepared for what comes next. I mean, I think we've seen with NIL, they weren't prepared for what was going to happen when they changed those rules. I'm not sure they have a contingency plan for what happens if and when the federal government decides these are actually employees. One, one of the big parts that the, the plaintiffs are making is it has less to do with scholarship and compensation and more to do with all of the other demands you're putting on these athletes that make them employees. Yeah. The fact that they can't they can't gamble, which which obviously is a minor one, but um, that they can't go to the classes they want to go because it interferes with practice. Right. They can't they can't work outside jobs. They can't do this. They can't do that. These are these are terms of employment. Uh, me and you have to deal with some of that same stuff. You know, working at the company that we work at. Uh, when you work for an employer, they put terms of employment in place. Yep. And you either follow that or, or you don't have a job. Well, uh, for these college athletes, you either follow that or you don't no longer play on the team. And now, and the, and the team's arguing, well, that's not an employment-based uh, contract. And the plaintiffs are arguing, that's exactly what it is. Um, a gentleman named Romy Hamuga, uh, uh, I, I, I totally botched his name and I apologize, <laughs> uh, who is uh, in charge of an organization uh, that is trying to organize uh, college athletes. It's a re- he, re- he represents the interests of college athletes in an unofficial capacity. But he has said for years that the biggest issue is health care. And if if you could get workman's comp as a college athlete, if they offered that, uh, that would that they might have been able to head this off a decade ago 
if they had really thought forward about, all right, we have all this, all more, so much more money coming in. We're playing longer seasons. We're going to expand the playoff. We're going to ask more of these football players. Uh, what can we do for them? But all of that's been lip service from the NCAA. And every time I hear them say, well, it's really about the student athlete experience. I want to punch somebody. Well, the attorney in this case said probably the easiest way is to loosen all of that uh, extra stuff to let uh, you know players uh, major in what they want to major in to to miss practice for a class to you know loosen some of the restrictions on what they can do with their outside time you know some of that would maybe not make them employees but but obviously you know that's probably not going to happen and and this case is going to move forward and and there are other challenges out there but this I think represents the biggest threat to the NCAA since the Alston case all right so uh final thing for Brian Murphy from WRAL he's the sports investigative reporter because uh, you mentioned NIL and I know it came up during this, and for those people who don't know, name, image, and likeness, we just call NIL now, is the ability for a third party, uh, in some cases it's corporations, to compensate players for their time and effort and exposure. I know it's happening. We have Jeremy Roach for, for Duke and Armando Baycott for North Carolina, each repping the same product. Uh, but it's also allowing boosters and collectives to pay the players, which used to be illegal but now is not. Uh, how does NIL kind of impact this situation or does it? I think, you know, it didn't come up a lot in this case. Uh, you know, this case was much more about whether they're employees of the university or employees of, of the football program. Um, but I think what it does is show that there's a robust market. I mean, as if we didn't already know there was a robust market for the services of these players. There is a robust market. The NIL has proven that, at least at the, at the top end of, of Division One football and, and men's basketball. And so, you know, this can be seen as a restraint of trade when, when all you can offer is a scholarship or, or mm -hmm. all you can offer are these uh, additional things – it can be seen as a way to, you know, keep labor costs down. That you're you're putting an artificial limit on what players are worth, and I think that's where NIL has, uh, you know, we've always thought there was a market. Now clearly, the market has demonstrated there is a market for these players. Brian Murphy, WRAL Sports Investigative Reporter at Murph's Turf on Twitter. I thank you very much for your time. We got to do this on a regular basis. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, I'll talk to you later, man. Appreciate your time. All right, thanks, Adam. All right, we have, uh, yeah, if you're paying attention, and this was going on during our show yesterday, uh, and I was just watching Twitter kind of laugh at the NCAA. You could, if Twitter had a chuckle feature, then the then Twitter would have been laughing at the NCAA. It's, it's as though they have been dropped here on the, in the United States from another planet. The amount of money the NCAA takes in from football and men's basketball and to a, obviously, far lesser extent, women's basketball, but there is money. The amount of money that they take in from those three sports is mind-numbing compared to what it was 25 years ago. I will bring this up and then we will break. Trip Tracy is going to join us on the other side to talk about Cam Ward. 20, about 25 years ago, roughly. It's a little bit less than that. This was about the turn of the millennium. The ACC, for a fiscal year, distributed 
$9 million per school in shared revenue money, in equal shared revenue money, $9 million per school. That was the most in college athletics. Think about that for a second. The ACC was ahead of the SEC, was ahead of the Big Ten in shared revenue. They distributed to their member institutions. And at that point, it was only nine. Right? We was, this is prior to the first wave of expansion. What is the Big Ten going to distribute based on their new TV deals? It's going to be close to $100 million per school. The SEC will be in the $80, $85 million range, and maybe more once Texas and Oklahoma settle in. The ACC will be up around 45 is my guess. Between 45 and 50 when everything really starts to develop. So what is the percentage increase here? To the ACC, it's like a 400% increase. And in the others, it's a 1,000% increase almost. That's why we want to know, how come you guys can't compensate the players? What has changed? The biggest, I don't want to use the term scam, but it might apply. The biggest question I would have for all of these people is, how did we exist in 2000 on $10 million per year, and now we're crying poor if we can't get 35 Inflation ain't that. This is a self-made problem for the NCAA. Did you know that your unused medications could end up in the wrong hands? It's important to keep your medication secure in a locked location, such as a locking box or locking cabinet. When it's time to dispose of them, safety and properly dispose of old, expired, or unused meds by using an at-home disposal product or a medication disposal box in your community. Don't miss out on medication take-back events happening near you. Don't let anyone take what's yours. Lock your meds. Be aware. Don't share. Learn more at lockyourmeds.org nc.